This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner-nominated Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hacha! Hey, this is Joe Casey, and you're, believe it or not, you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. Some guys named Joe and Matt. Going to work, whether we like it or not. Welcome to the Landmark 130th episode of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of September 4th. I'm not going to lie, folks. This one almost didn't happen. My name is Matt Baum, and you can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein, where I embrace my Jewish heritage. And when I'm not commissioning a very special 3D lentecular gift for this week's episode, bad news, only 50% of you will actually receive it upon downloading. I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. Nobody wants a gif of your wiener. That is where you are wrong. <laughs> I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not pleased to announce, the rest of you will receive a perfectly good 2D JPEG with your download, which should keep everyone happy, I'm sure. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus. Always looking on the bright side, that one. Which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. In this week's episode, you will hear our reviews of X-Men, Battle of the Atom, number one, and The Star Wars, number one. It's different, trust me. After that, we'll review ten of this week's comics faster than the NSA can decrypt your emails during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're playing Russian Roulette with the Crimson Dynamo and the Ultimate Damn Nullifier. And the stakes aren't just our lives. But the secrets of next week's comics And finally, we'll show off just how big our brains are When we play Ask a Nerd But before we get to all the pro 3D and anti 3D protesting Let's take a moment to welcome back football season, folks Started off last night, Peyton Manning threw a career-high seven touchdowns Against the pathetic Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens And I did not pick him for my fantasy team And now, we can talk about this week's Big news. This week, Mark Wade, digital advocate and sworn enemy of print comics, <laughs> announced that he has invested in not one, but two different brick and mortar comic shops. That son of a bitch! <laughs> On Monday, Wade revealed that he'd become a part owner of Alter Ego Comics in Muncie, Illinois, along with his partners, Jason Pierce and Christy Branch. Wade has always held that digital and print can not only coexist, but support one another, and now it seems he's put his money where his mouth is. On his blog, Wade said, quote, I'm logging inventory on Tuesdays and running the register on weekends and navigating the ordering process at our brand new location. This isn't a vanity purchase, a symbolic gesture, or a silent partnership. Christy, Jason, and I are each equal shareholders in Alter Ego Comics. I have skin in the game, and I'm eager to see what there is to learn about the only side of the industry I've never involved myself with. Gross. The skin the, in the game. That's gross. Yeah, I got it. Then on Thursday, Wade doubled down by announcing that he, Branch, and Pierce have invested in All Yeah Comics in Skokie, Illinois. Might be the best name for a comic shop ever. <laughs> the shop that is owned by comic creators Franco Aureliani and Art Baltazar. That's why the name's so good, because every time you want to say it, you want to go, Oh Yeah! Yes. More accurately, the Alter Ego crew and the Aw Yeah Comics crew have invested in each other, forming a sort of traveling Wilburys of comic book retailers, or as Wade describes it, quote, a six-way partnership between some of the most prominent and vocal figures in the industry, the image comics of brick and mortar. Wade hopes that the group can pool their resources in unique ways, melding print and digital in such a way that strengthens both sides. Matt, this is exciting stuff, but my first thought was, damn it, now I'll never get Mark Wade to come to legend. Let's not kid ourselves. He's the busiest man in comics, so he's not going anywhere. This is awesome. This is, is totally awesome. awesome. And anybody who still thinks that Mark Wade is the devil of digital comics is just an idiot. That's not how it works. And we've already seen how it works. Digital comics are here. They're not crushing anything. In fact, print sales are going up. They're For actually, now, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually on the rise. And for a creator of his level. Oh, yeah. To, and I'm not even saying I was going to say stoop down, but it's not what it is. But for a creator of his level to take on this kind of job. To, to, to see, put a personal stake right, in the future of the print media. In the retailer's shoes. Yeah. That is amazing. And it furthers my belief that Mark Wade 
the biggest badass in comic books right now. It's true. I think it's. I um, love the guy. I think this is an amazing story. And when I read on Monday that he had bought into a comic book store, and he said, "But the story's not over. See you on Thursday for the rest of the announcement." I went, "Well, what could that be?" Yeah. So now Mark Wade owns two comic book stores, which has all of you beat. I didn't know Art Belthazar owned a comic book store. Yeah, all yeah comics. Man. I love that guy even more now. <laughs> In movie news, Battlestar Galactica and Riddick star Katie Sackoff has confirmed that quote. Some stuff is going on between her and Disney regarding her availability for 2014. This comes hot on the heels of an interview Marvel Studios president, Luis Desposito. Desposito. Desposito, where he expressed Marvel's interest in making a film with a female lead, in which he specifically mentioned Captain Marvel, Joe Patrick, Starbuck as Carol Danvers. It's a no-brainer, right? It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. The second the, the second that the thing popped up uh, the headline was katie sackoff in talks with marvel yeah rumor katie sackoff in talks with marvel the first thing that popped in my head was oh yeah captain marvel katie sackoff colon boobs not big enough to be power girl she (laughs) (laughs) but yeah she is totally carol danvers totally and i think that she's a big enough star she's not so big that she's typecast well she's a cult star let's not kid ourselves but i think she's well known enough that she can carry a female-led superhero movie. I think so, too. I think so, too. And I think if this works out, if we get a Captain Marvel movie starring Katie Sackhoff, it could be huge. At the very least, I want her to show up in Avengers 2. Yeah. No, definitely. And Because tw- 2014 is way too soon for any like movie that has not been announced. Yeah, absolutely. So at the early, like we're talking she's going to like cameo in one of the Phase 2 films. Well, they need another female character. I mean, the, uh, they just, they absolutely... Well, they're do. bringing in Scarlet Witch. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but she's probably not going to get a solo film. No. I don't think Black Widow is going to get a solo no, film. No, God, no. But I think that this is a great idea, and I know it's all, it's far off rumor right now, but now I can't imagine anybody other than Katie Sackhoff as Captain Marvel. Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. Finally... DC Comics is bound and determined to make us rake them over the coals, despite my best efforts to stop beating a dead horse and mixing my metaphors. It's not our fault anymore, okay? (laughs) The Batwoman creative team of J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman has announced that they are leaving the title over creative differences with DC. I think it's Blackman. I think it's W. Hayden Blackman. With DC Editorial. (laughs) Williams posted a statement on his blog saying, quote, in recent months, DC has asked us to alter or completely discard many long-standing storylines in ways that we feel compromise the character and the series. We were told to ditch plans for Killer Croc's origins, forced to drastically alter the original ending of our current arc, which would have defined Batwoman's heroic future in bold new ways, and most crushingly, prohibited from ever showing Kate and Maggie actually getting married. <laughs> God. All of these editorial decisions came at the last minute, and always after a year or more of planning and plotting on our end. We've always understood that as much as we love the character, Batwoman ultimately belongs to DC. However, the 11th hour nature of these changes left us frustrated and angry because they prevent us from telling the best stories we can. So after a lot of soul searching, we've decided to leave the book after issue 26. Naturally, both the comic and mainstream media ran with the gay marriage angle, and the story rapidly gained national attention, despite the fact that Williams himself stated, quote, not wanting to be inflammatory, only factual. We fought to get them engaged, but were told emphatically no marriage can result. But I must clarify, it was never put to us as being anti-gay marriage. DC later followed with a statement saying, quote, as acknowledged by the creators involved, the editorial differences with the writers of Batwoman had nothing to do with the character's sexual orientation. While Dan DiDio was busy antagonizing angry fans on Twitter, it's true, they're deplorable tweets, I read them. God, seriously. They're not deplorable, they're just not at all constructive. How does he still have a job? I don't know. (laughs) Dark Horse's Scott Alley had this to say about the sometimes thankless job of an editor. Quote, I keep seeing posts about J.H. Williams' departure being crucially to do with the gay marriage thing. Did he or Hayden say that? I thought he said it was more global and ill-timed editorial input that prevented him from telling good stories. That's consistent with what we've heard from other creators. It seems like other people want to make it crucially about the gay marriage. As an editor, I think I've done the job well, and I know I've done it badly. Sometimes you have to give the, a creator direction, 
Sometimes you can't let them tell the story they want. You're dealing with corporate properties. I've had to tell someone that they're writing Mike Mignola's guys wrong or doing something he didn't want. I needed Art Baltazar to change something in Itty Bitty Hellboy. It didn't make me evil or bad at my job. How you handle it is everything. Coming in at the last minute to change it is bad. Doing it arbitrarily is bad, inconsistently, and doing it later than you could have. I bet J.H. Williams III would tell you that if they'd been given thorough guidelines from the outset, he could have done the book to his satisfaction. What editors and DC need to learn from this and everything else in the last couple of years is how to get the best work out of people. That should be our jobs. I've failed many times, not out of malice, not lately anyway, but by making poor choices and not thinking ahead. It seems from the very distant outside, like editorial direction at DC sometimes changes with the wind. And I know for a fact that that makes it impossible for creators to tell good stories, more so than any disagreement over any one storyline, no matter how significant. Matt Bomb, go. When I first heard about this story, I called Joe Patrick and I told him that I was going to set a gay fire so bright that lesbians would be able to see it from space. (laughs) I've changed my mind. And here's why. I don't think this has anything to do with the gay marriage. The story has nothing to do with the marriage. It has nothing to do with it. What we need to focus on here and the point that Joe and I have been beating to death is that there is too much editorial bullshit going on at DC. And it has nothing to do with gay, straight, black, white, it, none of that. Right. I mean, DC it's, created Batwoman. Right. Like, they knew she was a gay character. Yes. They allowed the story where she gets engaged yes. to be printed. And if they didn't want that, they would have never let it take off in the first part. So, and if they didn't think, they, like, it's justifiable for them to say I that they don't think that a happy married home life is a story they want to tell, or even a, a story about a home life in, in, regardless in crisis. Regardless of that. Regardless of that. What I'm saying is... It's the last minute and the constant yes. changing and the saying one thing, then That's doing another. Saying. That's what I'm saying. Regardless of any of that, this is just another example of how heavy-handed editorial is making the company look terrible. Yeah. Do I think there's an anti-gay conspiracy at DC? No, of absolutely not. not. Does this make it look like there might be? Oh, yeah. Hey, sure. Big time. They're not doing themselves any favors. <laughs> no. It definitely looks and sounds to the outside world very bad. Right. Like, they have the gun, and they continually keep wrestling it away from people so they can shoot themselves in the foot again. Right. You know? <laughs> like, and, and this is, like, this is hot on the heels of them putting out a call for artists to try out for Harley Quinn. Right. Where they said... Here are four panels of Harley Quinn, one of which she's in the bathtub about to commit suicide by dropping toasters and hair dryers and radios and TVs into the bath. I did that the yesterday. story there is draw Harley Quinn naked, get a job at DC. Right. Don't do that. Yeah. Stop doing that. Yes. I mean, like, seriously, you're owned by Warner Brothers. <laughs> You've got to have a PR team. I don't know what goes on behind closed doors there. I know there is a PR team. Yes. And I'm going to say right now, this is free advice. I am not a financial expert. I'm not a business expert. I'm not an expert of any kind. Take Dan DiDio's Twitter account away. Yes. Oh, my God. You know what? I'm going to go beyond that. And I've been saying this for almost 15 years. Fire that guy <laughs> fire him listen i like i don't need him to be fired just he can't get on twitter drag and him through the damn people. streets like mussolini <laughs> if, if fans are sending angry tweets at you because you're the guy in charge yeah you do not respond the way you did no you you know what you do you shut the f- up that's right. what you do. You suck it up and you go, yeah, people are angry or whatever. Or, or I'm you gonna just take the higher ground and shut up and do my job. Or you just keep repeating the company line yes. over and over until they stop bugging you. Just like the Republican but Party. Don't, <laughs> but you don't come down and, and get into a cockfight with no, fans. No, God, no. Oh, my God. It just makes you look like the it's, anti-gay jackass it's very that you're trying not to be. It's very unprofessional. Uh, this is just... And I want to say... This is the last straw. It's There's not, no way it, DC gets any worse well, than this. Like, well, last week we just talked about how we were kind of softening on, yeah. on some stuff. Stop making these boneheaded decisions. I, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. I don't want to yell about it. I don't want to get swerked up. But I'm it's ready news. to cry. Yeah. But this is our job. We have to point the finger. We are getting paid real money we to are like talk Fox about this. We are like Fox News. We report and you f***ers decide. 
There's going to have to be a lot of bleeping in this episode. There is. Because we are drinking rum and coke. It's true. And we are really kind of tired and angry. It's true. <laughs> could be wrong. I could be right. That is the stupid f***ing big news for this week. If you want to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up at our Facebook page. Where we've posted video of Dan DiDio rapping through the entirety of Macklemore and Lewis's hit song, Same Love, to prove... He is not against gay marriage once and for all. It's very convincing. He gay loves you. Or he loves gay people. I'm not sure. (laughs) One of the two. Every Friday, the happily gay married Joe Patrick posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. And then we read your responses and play your voice messages on the THN Answer of the Week podcast, which hits every Wednesday. Or so. Joe. What do we ask these nerds this week? Love is love, man. True. This week's question was, what creator were you most upset to see leave a title? It could be an artist. It could be a writer. It could be a creative team. And it could be that they got fired or that they the, just left. It could be the goddamn editor <laughs> we've yelled about yeah, so just much. somebody that you thought was so closely associated with a title that their departure altered that title and you were bummed about it. That's what we want to know. Right on. We love it. When you call us with your answers to the question of the week on Skype, our Skype handle is TwoHeadedNerd, or at our Ziggurat direct line, 402-819-4894. You can also respond at our Facebook page, that's facebook.com forward slash TwoHeadedNerd. And don't forget, if you're going to respond on the Twitter, be sure to use the hashtag T-H-N-A-O-W. As of yet, none of you have ever done this. (laughs) That's not true. Some of you have done it. Okay. And I take partial responsibility. I should be posting the hashtag when yes. I post the question. Yes. So it's your fault. I'll do better next time. Here I am yelling at everybody. No, no, no. Nice. It's their fault. It's review time on THN where Matt and I decide whether or not to make two of this week's new comics starters or cut them from the team altogether. Matt, what comic is on your starting line this week? This week, I decided to read The Star Wars. Number one from Dark Horse, written by J. W. Rinsler, with art by Mike Mayhew. He should solicit the four Star Wars. There was the Star Wars. This is the authorized adaptation of George Lucas's rough draft screenplay of what would eventually become a motion picture that would change the world. Anakin Starkiller is the hero. Dot, dot, dot. Luke Skywalker is a wise and Jedi general. Dot, dot, dot. Han Solo is a big green alien. I'm going to say we did not see that in this... Not yet. <laughs> ...issue. Dot, dot, dot. And the Sith, dot, dot, dot. Well, the Sith are still bad guys. High adventure and daring do from longer ago and a galaxy even further away. So this was billed as the Star Wars that almost was, and while it wasn't a million miles from the original, it was definitely different. Here are the Jedi are a group of bodyguards, more similar to the original samurai class that Lucas pictured before he shit on his own ideas and made them a space UN with bugs in their blood that gave them the force. We also see an older, much more capable Anakin, raised and trained by his father, Kane Starkiller, which I will only answer to Starkiller for the rest of this podcast because it's <laughs> so goddamn tough, which is an awful name, but a good character. Luke is also much older and a Jedi general, and there's no way he's Leia's brother because Leia's a young girl on her way to space college, as we see her here. Space college. And Darth Vader appears It's to- a party school. <laughs> I've heard that. Good looking chicks at space college. And Darth Vader appears to be younger than Luke as well and doesn't wear a helmet. But the rest of his suit is very Vader. He's like an emo teen. He's got this Michael Sheehan Zod thing going on, I kind of saw. Michael Shannon. Yeah, that too. Mike Mayhew is the real star here. It's been quite a while since we've seen him doing more than covers, and it's great to have him back. He gave this title the Star Wars look that it needed. Had any other artist handled this one, it might not have had that familiar feel, and I think it really would have lost something. He incorporated the aliens well. He incorporated aspects of costumes that we definitely needed. Little things that said Star Wars that otherwise an artist who hasn't done as much Star Wars work may have missed. Yeah, like uh, the Star Destroyers are reimagined as like yeah. small two-person crafts, but they're shaped the same. They're more like X-Wing. Right. Uh, there's the size of X-Wings or TIE Fighters. There's a lot of elements that I recognize from 
say like uh, there was one character and I forget his name in this in this story he's somebody different but design wise he's the character he's the original Jabba the Hut yeah oh yeah, yeah. from before okay. they the guy made him the, the empire the big fat yeah yeah like yeah definitely. And, like, there were very little things, like the fact that Kane Starkiller had the same exact, like, chest plate that Darth Vader wears. And I'm not going to go into why, but, like, it's revealed. It's very melodramatic. Yeah, yeah. But little tiny things like that that really connected it to Star Wars. All in all, I'm on board to see where this goes. While it was weird, this was still a fun Star Wars story, and I really would have liked to see this Anakin in Episode One more than the cute kid space racer though there was a kid that said yippee well sure but i mean whatever (laughs) i'm on board to see where this goes but i i'm really curious as to how this story changed into the star wars that we know regardless of that good art strong story fun star wars elseworld here i'm saying buy it yeah i liked it too uh like matt said there are elements that are star wars reminiscent so that it's not completely alien and that is what kept me hooked to the story. I knew I was reading an alternate take on something I already loved. Definitely. And it, it helps immensely. It is very melodramatic. It's cheesy in parts. But so is Star Wars. It's a little bit darker, even, than yeah, the original. I agree. And I enjoyed it a lot. And, of course, Mike Mayhew is amazing. He really is. It gets a buy it from me, too. Cool. Joe Patrick, the X-Men didn't have the strongest preseason. Are you starting them? What's going on with the Battle of the Atom? Tell me about it. Listen, they're on my starting line. All right. That is a sports reference. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> X-Men Battle of the Atom number one from Marvel Comics written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Frank Cho with a little bit help from Stuart Eminen. They didn't feel like mentioning it, though. Here's your so- No, they mentioned it. Oh, did they? Here's your solicit. The past, present, and future of the X-Men collide in this 50th anniversary event crossover. When investigating a new mutant, something truly horrible happens to the all-new X-Men that shakes time and space to its core. This is so dire that X-Men from the future with a message, the all-new X-Men must return to the past. (laughs) The 10-part crossover starts here with superstars, Brian Michael Michael Bendis Bendis and Frank Frank Cho. (laughs) I thought that would back you up. A lot of caps in this one. It was fun. I am a total sucker for X-Men time travel stories, Days of Future Past, the sagas of Bishop and Cable. I love them. I do, I too. love them all. I do, too. Even when they don't go anywhere. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so when this story was announced, I got super excited. Now, it's kind of hard to judge the script here. I mean, it's just a slam-bang time travel action story with a bunch of moments that don't really make sense because nobody can keep the rules of time travel straight. But you don't care because it's so much fun. Between this and all-new X-Men number 16, bonus, two reviews. Bendis delivers a lot of great moments between multiple versions of each character. You've, you've got the young Iceman and the modern Iceman, both reacting to the future Iceman, who is like a, like a hulking ice golem. Yeah. And they're like in the same pose. They're both like... that? Dude, it's on the cover for one. All right, no, you're right. You're right. It's and on the cover. And for months ago, months ago, they announced who these new future yeah. X characters no, you're right. were. It's Iceman. But it's a fun moment where you know, young Beast and modern Beast are like, "Oh, hmm, fascinating." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's a good time. Now, I'm not always a huge fan of Frank Cho's superhero work, but he does an amazing job here, and still worked in dinosaurs. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> His layouts are jam packed, and no inch of space is wasted on the page. So when he finally does a splash page, it actually has a special weight to it. Definitely. Cho is also the master of drawing the human form. I've always appreciated how every character looks different when he draws them. I'm especially fond of his Cyclops, who is every bit as wiry as someone nicknamed Slim should be. And his like modern day Cyclops, who's older and more buff, is still wiry. Yeah. But the young Cyclops from the past is just like a skinny teenager. Yeah, it's like 120 pound like And it's pole. just really, really well drawn. Yeah. Overall, this is a great start to what looks like a really fun event. I'm giving parts one and two of Battle of the Atom a buy it. I really like this too. I really like this. And I agree. I love Frank Cho, but I especially love Frank Cho when he's not writing the story. I appreciate that he wants to do more stuff and he wants to write something. Please give us more Liberty Meadows. I loved Liberty Meadows, but I don't 
love him writing superhero stuff. That said, I drink. I love him I drawing this. It was beautiful. I love what's going on in the all-new X-Men. This story is fun. There's a key moment where something happens to young Cyclops oh, yeah. that directly affects old Cyclops. And when I read it, I went, oh, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> it's neat. And it was a lot of fun. This is... I can't say this without sounding completely pro-Marvel after just bashing DC, but I really don't think the X-Men has been this good for a long time. It's true. I, I mean, love this. I love I love the DC characters more than I love the Marvel characters. Fair enough. This is a, a true fact stated on the record multiple times. Right. However, Marvel continues to demonstrate that... When you get out of the creator's way, yes, or at least you involve the creators in the planning process, yes, you get wonderful results. Right, just let them work. Let these guys and work. like the editors, like in in all of these creator summits they have, the editors might be going, "Hold on, Bendis, that's not quite what we have in mind for the character." But the point is, they plan in advance. They talk about it together. They right. work together. Right. Nobody is letting Bendis plan a story for a year. And then two months before publication Go, saying nah, you can't do that. That's not what we want to do. And this is this is what you get when you just let the creators create or you collaborate. You really collaborate. You get an excellent product. I, and I said it before. I predicted what would happen when Brian Michael Bendis came back on board. He has brought the soul back to the X-Men. He really has. It's a, it's a fun human read with, with good quippy moments, with humor, with soul. It really is. I love this book. I had a ton of fun with it. I'm also giving it a buy it. Awesome. So that is a double buy it for both X-Men, Battle of the Atom, and for the Star Wars number one. Of course, we want to know what you time-displaced mutants and reimagined Jedis thought of these comics, so be sure to tell us what the bugs in your blood have to say in the comments section for this episode at twoeditnerd.com. As you may have heard, all the good guys in the DCU are dead! Except for Catwoman, who never seems to do anything evil, but DC wants us to think she walks some moral tightrope. I don't get it. Whatever, the point is, we had no choice but to turn to the evil speedsters of the DCU if we were going to get these reviews done in time. So join us, along with a little help from Professor Zoom, Inertia, Savitar, I have no idea who that is, Speed McGee, and Rival. Speed McGee. Yeah, I feel like Speed McGee might be made up. And we reviewed... It's all too real. Ten new comics at the speed of pure evil during this week's... Ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! Forever Evil, number one from DC. The crime syndicate begins their takeover of the world here, and things are bad for everyone involved. Nightwing fans may want to take special note of this one. I'm not going to say why. I thought it was a lot of fun, but I wish that Ivan Rice was drawing it. I'm not much of a David Finch fan. Still, I'm totally into the story. Buy it. I think I'm out of love with David Finch, too. Yeah. The hit. Number one from Boom Studios. This is a nice little crime noir romp with some grisly crime scenes. Solid art here by Vanessa R. Del Rey. And not a bad story by Bryce Carlson. But I do feel like it's an itch that's already been scratched for me with Ed Brubaker's Fatale and Darwin Cook's Parker. If you love this kind of pulp crime stuff, buy it. For me, just a skimming. Superman 23.1. Bizarro. From DC. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first real mention of Bizarro in the New 52? That is correct. We get a new origin for the character as an attempt by Lex Luthor to create a Superman-level super soldier that goes awry. Actually, though, you don't see the real Bizarro at all, just his beginnings, and I was definitely intrigued by it. Great job, Sholly Fish and Jeff Johnson. Charlie Fish, you sound like you're a 90-year-old man. I'm he sorry. He really does. I thought he was like a golden age dude. I'm giving him to buy it. God is dead, number one from Avatar. Writers Jonathan Hickman and Mike Costa team up and make their Avatar debut with this biting, angry look at what happens when the gods of old return to show man. They should not have left them behind. This is a very violent and very well written. I'm on board for this one. And the art by D. Amorim, sorry if I killed that, didn't have the typical Avatar feel. I really liked it. I'm saying buy it. Batman Black and White, number one from DC. I loved 
Batman Black and White back in the day, and I'm excited to have it back. The sheer array of talent assembled in this one issue is staggering. It makes me a little fearful that the rest of the series won't be able to keep the same level of quality. Every single story in this book is wonderful. Huge buy it. I loved it. Every page. And I didn't... I thought I thought that I was going to hate some of it. I loved all of it. Buy it. Right on. Reality check number one from Image. This is a fun and very meta look at the comic industry where a struggling artist sells his idea about a hero more concerned with finding a date than fighting crime. Sort of like a really lonely Batman. It's kind of like the adventures of the guy that created sex if it wasn't Joe Casey. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but after selling his pitch, Willard, the artist, can't remember his story. And the fictional hero actually shows up at his apartment demanding he help him find true love or he won't return the story ideas. This is a great premise here. Solid writing. I didn't love the art. I thought the art was good and it fit the style of story. Perhaps, okay, maybe I need to look at it again. I can live with it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm saying buy it. Yeah. Justice League Dark, number 23.1, The Creeper from DC. With two writers, Dan DiDio and Anna Senti. Oh, boy. And a whopping nine artists. Oh, my God. To be fair, it's three pencilers, three inkers. Yeah, it's like... That's still three members of the artistic creative team. The Creeper one shot is a very damning example of how not to do an event tie in. This version of the character is completely unrecognizable in every single terrible way. Okay, hold on. Is this the Creeper from Katana? Yes. Okay, the weird Japanese yes. Creeper. Yes. Yeah, so dumb. It's terrible. So dumb. I can't believe that this comic made it to print. I just, I'm staggered by it. It's not hard, I guess, when one of the co-writers is a company executive. I suppose that helps. Leave it! Codename <laughs> action number one from Dynamite! Very nice. This was a ton of fun, and I did not expect it to be. I've gotten really tired of Dynamite's monthly reach into the hat of the old Golden Age character we forgot and pull out Coming and reinvent week, something. Kings Watch number one. Yeah, but guess what? Chris Roberson writes this one, and he's a talented guy. Jonathan Lau has come a long way. And I gotta say, his art is getting much, much better. I used to think he was just kind of a David Finch ripoff. Now he's really developing his own style, and it looks nice here. They sort of reinvent Captain Action as codename Action. I think this is still 1980s America, judging by, like, the Soviet Union being there and hey, stuff like okay, that. okay, that's a good indicator. But there's a fun story. I'm on board for this one. Buy it. Nice job. Dynamite. Batman 23.1, The Joker from DC. Listen... I honestly can't explain my feelings about this issue. <laughs> the art by Andy Clark is amazing. It's beautiful. But then you have the script from Andy Kubert. Weird. First time writer? I don't know. Where the Joker kidnaps a baby gorilla and raises it to be a super villain? It's so bizarre that the whole thing may have been a delusion on the Joker's part. It's Morrison-level weirdness without Morrison-level talent. Ew. I'm not giving it a leave it. I think maybe you should. I'm giving it a skim it. The art is gorgeous. Oh, okay. But it's just weird. Is it a skim it on the weight of the art? It's a skim it on the weight of the art. Okay. Fair. Iron Man number 15 from Marvel Comics. I love Iron Man, and I love the secret origin of Tony Stark. And in this one, we get to finally see Tony Stark get over on 415, the robot that has been gently guiding him to what it thinks his destiny should be. There's so many fun twists and turns of this. Kieran Gillen is killing it here. If you're not reading this, you're missing out. My only complaint, and it's not a big one. Daily of the Sham is not on the arc here. Carl, Carlo Pagulian, who I also really like. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's on the arc. But I love Daily Eagles Sham so much. It would have been such a great trade if it was all Daily Eagles Sham. Oh, my God. Yeah, I wish he was here. That's it. No offense, Carlo. Love your work. Bye. Kaboom! That is your ludicrous speed round. And kaboom! Is the sound of a suicide bomber blowing up above Paris as seen in this week's issue of Codename Action, number one, from Dynamite. It's been a rough week for us outside the ziggurat, so Matt and I have cracked open the stash of Stolishnaya Reserve that the Red Ghost was kind enough to send us in return for ape-sitting. So we were playing Russian Roulette 
with the Crimson Dynamo when he decided to up the ante. If we had the guts to take a spin with the ultimate nullifier, he'd spill the secrets of next week's comics as long as our brains didn't spill across the multiverse. Well, that commie bastard obviously didn't know who he was dealing with. Ha! Matt Bomb, what did the Dynamo reveal to you before he nullified his dumbass out of existence? He got me pretty excited for next week's Sons of Anarchy, number one, from Boom Studios by Christopher Golden and Damien Cuisiro. Cuisiro. C-O-U-E-C-I-R-O. Daniel, write us. Tell me how to say your damn name. Here's your solicit with no one else to turn to. The daughter of an old Sam Crow member comes to Charming looking for help. The only people standing between Kendra and certain death, I'm guessing Kendra is the daughter, are the Sons of Anarchy. And, for better or for worse... Sergeant at Arms, Tig. I love Tig, man. He's totally great. <laughs> I'm all in on this one. I love Christopher Golden. I love the Sons of Anarchy. I hope this is great. And the art in the preview looks really cool. I will not understand anything that's going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, if you watch the show. I don't. Yeah, I think you kind of probably have to watch the show to be as excited <laughs> as I am. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? I'm excited for Mighty Avengers number one from Marvel Comics, written by Al Ewing. With art by Greg Land. The kid loves black people. I do. I do too. Here's your solicit. Which I was one. Infinity (laughs) tie-in! New ongoing series. From the battlefields of infinity comes the mighty Avengers. (laughs) The Avengers are light years away in space, contending with the builders. Thanos' marauders ransack the earth, doing as they please. Who will stand in defense of mankind? Luke Cage. The Superior Spider-Man, Spectrum, the White Tiger, Power Man, and a mysterious figure in an ill-fitting Spider-Man Halloween costume. What? What? These unlikely heroes must assemble when no one else can against the unrelenting attack of Proxima Midnight. Before you go on, who is Al Ewing? Al Ewing writes for 2000 AD, and I think he's written a thing or two for American comics, but nothing, obviously nothing major. He British? British. Okay, got it. And I'm I listen. The story when this when news of this series broke was that Marvel assembles a team of Black Avengers, right, or whatever. The Black Avengers. And that's all well and good. Sure. I just love these characters. I love Luke Cage. I love Monica Rambeau, formerly Captain Marvel. I don't love Monica Rambeau. I do. I love her. But I like she's back. Cool. I'm into it. Superior Spider-Man. I'll read about that guy anytime. Yeah, oh yeah. And I just think that this is fun. Now listen, I don't like Greg Land. I don't either. I don't. I'm out of love with him. But God bless him for introducing this show. I'm out of love with just him. Just like uh, with Iron Man, I don't think Greg Land will be on this book for long. Probably not. So I think he's slow. I I'm think he's cautiously slow. optimistic. And I think that this is going to be a lot of fun. I do too. I, I'm excited for this one too. All right. TGN Trade of the Week for next week is Shield by Storanko, the complete collection from Marvel Comics by Jim Storanko and Jack Kirby. Here's just listed rarely before and rarely since this comic scene of talent is innovative as Storanko. Why he's got suddenly he's Sting. I don't know what the deal is here. <laughs> Blending together influences from pop art to Salvador Dali and Will Eisner to Wally Wood, Storanko's boundary breaking styles and incomparable visual language that continues to influence and inspire storytellers decades later. It's true. Now, for the first time ever, Marvel is proud to offer the complete Starenko, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. In one volume, if you haven't read it, you should. It is totally I've awesome. I've never read it. It's psychedelic. It's bizarre. I it's can't wait. weird as hell. Great stuff, though. Of course we want to know what you're looking forward to. So pull the trigger and tell us what comics you're excited for next week over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. Do me a favor, a personal favor. I don't even care if you like me. Just click the like button if you like the show. Do it for poor Joe Patrick. He needs this crap, not me. I'm perfectly secure with you jerks. <laughs> I just want to be loved. Before we move on, Two-Headed Nerd is looking for brave advertisers and sponsors who aren't afraid to have their good image ruined by our filthy, sophomoric humor. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, please, the answer of the week or just advertising on our site. We're dying here. Shoot us an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. I'm so hungry. With the subject line, sponsorship, 
this fancy rum is not going to pay for itself. It's true. Check out the big brains on us. That's right. It's time to once again reach shoulder deep into the THN mailbag and pull out a question from one lucky listener. This week, Chris, the British guy, asks... Hey, nerds. After you mentioned there still, may not be enough villain month issues from DC bad. to go around, I went to pre-order some and found that over here in Blighty, I can't pre-order any of the fancy cover types. <laughs> I can get the standard boring covers, but now I'm wondering if I'm even bothered by the whole month of releases from DC. Probably because I don't know much about it. Are there any particular issues you think I should be looking out for? I'm really looking for advice on either issues that look like they're going to be amazeballs or issues that fit into the larger DC Universe stuff. Pip, pip, motherfudgers. Chris, the British guy. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty good. All right, all right. That was pretty good. This is, okay, I'm going to go straight into ugly, scary comic speculator guy and i'm gonna tell you something that a lot of you might not want to hear there's going to be some madness based on these because dc dropped the ball on not printing enough to meet the orders it's going to look like these are very limited and they're very hard to find but what you need to take into consideration here is that let's say and i'm gonna go into algebra stay with me don't let your ears glaze over because you can't see us otherwise it's your eyes I'm going to go into a little bit of algebra. Let's say DC prints X of Action Comics each month. When they decided they were going to do these 3D lenticular covers, they did not say, you know, instead of printing X, let's print W, being a lesser amount. What they said is, we will print X plus whatever, not knowing that whatever the number they chose would not be enough to meet the retailer's demand in orders. Therefore, there are more action comics out there with 3D lenticular covers than there are normally of the normal printed one, making it not that rare. It just so happens that all the retailers ordered more of them than they normally do. Therefore, your shop doesn't have a whole lot of them. Well, but Matt, what you're failing to mention is that the fact that they didn't print less is not what's making them rare. What's no. making them rare is that they're already sold. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And so it is going to be harder to get them outside of the secondary market. This is like where I, this, eBay. This is what happens next. So in the meantime, but that's not necessarily his question. No, no, no. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. In the meantime, people go to eBay. They freak out. They spend five, seven. $10 an issue for some of these. I saw a complete set of all 52 sell for like $365, which is effectively like $8 an issue or something like that. I'm not doing the math off the top of my head. And what I'm telling you is, don't worry about it. They're going to be there. Any of these titles that you want to read, pick up the 2D one if you want to read it. But don't go out and freak out thinking I have to have the 3D lenticular cover because it's going to put my kids through college someday because that is not the case. This is a perfect example of the speculator market going completely insane over something that is not going to be that big a deal a year from now. Okay, okay, okay. That's all, what I'm all of that said, he wants to know which ones are worthwhile, which ones we think are going to be worthwhile story-wise right. and especially which ones are going to tie into anything ongoing at DC? And there's a very easy answer to this. Whatever. You're more caught up on the on this DC stuff than I am. I'm speaking from the speculator corner. Sure, now sure. you speak from the reader's corner. All right. Here are the issues that in my informed opinion, not in necessarily informed opinion, but my honest opinion, I think will be worth a read. You're informed. We're experts. Oh, sure. But I haven't read them all, so Look I don't this. know. You're wearing an Incredible Hulk shirt. We're, yeah. ob we're obviously yeah. experts. Yeah, obviously. I'm shirtless. I think that the Justice League Dark Side issue is going to be fun. It's written by Greg Pak. It's got an artist that I like. Greg Pak writes Superman, Batman, Dark Side's the villain. I think it will be fun. I am honestly intrigued by the Lobo issue. We talked about it last week. Yeah, I got to see what happens. At, I, least. at the very least, I'm going to skim it. I like Ben Oliver, the artist, and I'm going to give it a look. Justice League 23.4, The Secret Society, written by Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates. This will definitely tie in to what's actually going on 
in Forever Evil. I think it's a must read. Justice League of America 7.1 Deadshot by Matt Kent and Pasquale Ferry, both of whom I love. Justice League of America 7.4 Black Adam, again, written by Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates. The Shazam backups were amazing. Yeah, we've already seen what I'm Jeff Johns can do issue. with Black Adam. And I'm, I'm not going to miss it. That's going to be good. Uh, Aquaman 23.1 Black Manna. Jeff Johns and Tony Bedard. I think it's going to tie into what's going on in Aquaman. I'm in, I'm enjoying it. Same goes for The Ocean Master, also co-written by Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates. Both writers that I like. Both writers that I like. Earth 2 15.2. Solomon Grundy, written by Matt Kent, art by Aaron Lepresti. Love both those artists. Oh, yeah. I'm enjoying Earth 2, and I'm going to give that one a go. All of the Flash issues are written by one or both of the actual Flash writers. One stars Grodd, one stars Reverse Flash, and one stars the, ro- stars the Rogues. I'm reading all three. I think they're all going to be fun. Wonder Woman 23.2, First Born, written by Brian Azzarello. The one book I think will actually directly tie in fully to what the writer was actually doing in the book before yeah. Villains Month. Definitely. I reviewed it today on the show. Superman 23.1, Bizarro, by Charlie Fish and Jeff Johnson. It was fun. I recommend it. I'm intrigued. I don't know if I'm recommending it, but I'm intrigued by Superman 23.4 about the parasite, both written and drawn by Aaron Cooter. Uh, Batman Superman 3.1. Greg Pak's going to give us a story about Doomsday. I'm into that. Batman 23.2. The Riddler, written by Scott Snyder. You do not miss an issue of Batman written by Scott Snyder. He's going to do something awesome with that character. That's the bottom line. Batman 23.4. Bane, written by Peter Tomasi. Drawn by Graham Nolan, Graham Nolan created Bane. It's true. Get it done. And he's great, and we haven't seen him for quite a while. I know. Batman and Robin 23.2, The Court of Owls, written by James Tinian IV, art by Jorge Lucas. I'm into The Court of Owls. Tinian's already writing, doing a great job with them on Talon. On the Talon, yeah. absolutely. Speaking of Tinian, Batman and Robin 23.3 is all about Ra's al Ghul and the League of Assassins. I'm into that, too. Detective Comics 23.2, Harley Quinn, written by Matt Kent, art by Neil Gooch. I don't like the new 52 Harley Quinn. She's getting either. her own book coming up. I don't like her either. But I love Matt Kent, and I love Neil Gooch. I'm just going to say it. I've never particularly cared about Harley Quinn. I think that's going to be a fun one. I do like Neil Gooch. I'm going to give it a look. And I love Matt Kent. And yay for more work for Matt Kent. Yeah. Green Lantern, 23.1 Relic, written by Robert Venditti. It's all about... Relic, who is the big bad in the next storyline for Green Lantern. If you're into Green Lantern, that's the one for you. He's been building up to it as well. Green Lantern 23.4, Sinestro, written by Matt Kent, art by Dale Eaglesham. Yeah. That guy left Iron Man in mid-story to go draw Villains Month? I guess. I don't know. So those are the ones that I think are going to be fun or that are going to tie in. That's not to say that some of the other ones are going to be bad. It's just that they don't seem that essential to me. Right. This is your guess. It's And it's totally a guess. Right. And, and like I was saying, don't worry about the speculator aspect. Don't worry about the 3D covers. Read what you think is going to be important. Read what you think applies to what you like. And honestly, if you're not that caught up with the DC Universe, this might not be the best time to dip your toe into it. Well, but the thing with these issues is that some of them are present day. Some of them are origin stories. Right. They're all over the place. So my honest recommendation is go to the rack, look at what looks cool, and see what grabs you. I know it's harder for you being in England. It's not your fault that you are internationally handicapped. But, you know, I went online. (laughs) I googled DC Villains Month solicitations. You'll get to the Newsarama article. It'll spell it all out for you and make your decisions based on that. That's what I did. I don't know. There it, you go. It's tough when you're not in the States. Right. And it's I apologize for your Britishness. But anything we can do to help, let us know. Thanks for your question, Chris. And of course, we love all our fans across the pond, but we especially love you. If you've got a comic-related question or trivia challenge for Joe Patrick, the nerdiest comic nerd that ever f***ing nerded, email us for the subject line, Ask a Nerd, and let us know if it's a trivia challenge so he doesn't read it. Mark it for Matt's eyes only. Yeah, that'll totally work. Sort of, sort of, break it, break it down like this. 
And that is it for the Bad Guys Rule episode of THN. If you enjoy listening to two crybabies that couldn't hurt a fly without feeling guilty, pretend to be evil, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher, where you can give the show a star rating, written review, or Stitcher thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to all of our past donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in doomsday devices and paychecks for our evil henchmen, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's an evil little PayPal button this week. While you're there, you can find links to our evil Twitter feed, at TwoHeadedNerd, our evil email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our evil YouTube channel, THN Comic Cast, our evil Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, no spaces, and our new direct evil phone number, 402-819-4894, where you can send slash call us with your Ask Nerd questions, or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. I'm not going to name names. Somebody invited us to buy their comic and comicsology and review it. I'm telling you, send me a PDF copy, buddy. I'm not made of money. And don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THN Love Slaves over at TwoHeadedNerd.com, including my wife's evil blog, Girl Meets Nerd, where she talks about my disconcerting, possibly evil obsession with RoboCop. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion, and if you want to hear our evil answers along with your own written and audio responses, be sure to check out the Two-Headed Nerd Answer of the Week podcast. If you're already subscribing to this show, you don't need to do anything, man. Nothing. It already will magically appear in your feed every time we upload. It will just black magically show up in your evil feed evil, every Wednesday. Evilly evil in, in an evil way. <laughs> Next week the comic pushers are back ruining the lives of some poor pathetic junkie with a new comic series they won't be able to resist and my pal Joe Patrick is going to rap about it. Ugh. Before we go our weekly shout out goes to Ben Templesmith who disappeared for a month and lost his damn job drawing 10 grand. Where do you Ben? Glad you popped back up and you're okay, buddy. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. Joe Patrick, we've got a room full of nerds waiting for us to come roll dice. Let's do it. And possibly get killed. The yes. Kinky, the Kinky Wizards are in action tonight, folks. That means this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off to the Shadowfell.